Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and Kala teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls. Your hosts for today are Sarah Lowenthal and Rifki Boyarski. Today, we are thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be interviewing Dini Gorman. This, is, this interview has been in the process, has been in the works for many weeks. Dini is a mother of a beautiful, large family, Kanainahara, ranging from little children to married. She is the famed Tanya teacher at the Base Homish High School in Toronto. She's a renowned speaker and gives a weekly Tanya share that I highly recommend every Sunday morning. And most importantly, closest to my heart, she runs Moradini's playgroup, where from a very young age, she has a chance to imbue little children with a love for Hasidishkeit and Yiddishkeit. Dini, thank you so much for joining us. Can we start off our podcast with you telling our listeners about yourself, where you grew up, and what led you into your line of work? So I grew up in Crown Heights, uh, the youngest of a, a large family, Baruch Hashem, and my parents are Holocaust survivors. Um, so it was that generation. And um, basically, my life was the regular, you know, base Rifka girl type of life. Went there all the way through elementary, through high school, and seminary as well. I was in base Rifka. And I got a bracha from the Rebbe to teach pre one in base Rifka, which I did. And actually, the year before, I taught in high school, in Vesrifka High School, which I, I had a bracha from the Rebbe for that. And then the following year, I was offered the position uh, as a pre one teacher in Vesrifka by Chai Sarah Tenenbaum. So I, I asked the Rebbe for a bracha for that, whether I should stay in high school or switch over to the pre-1A, and I got a bracha for switching over to the pre-1A. And then um, I just feel like it's it's amazing that both of the brachas ended up carrying through, because when we moved to Toronto, I became both a teacher in high school and, you know, the director of, of a playgroup. So I feel like this is definitely, you know, the, uh, the Rebbe's brachas that are, led me to the both jobs that I have today. Um, yeah, Baruch it's highly unusual, I have to say, to be able to have the skill set to do little kids and older kids. Usually, it's one or the other, because it really is. Don't you feel like a whole diff- two different ballparks that you're you're playing in? Yeah, it's definitely a, a changing of the hat every time I have to, you know, go from one to the other. But in a way, you know, I teach Tanya in the high school. So, and, and, and what am I teaching in playgroup? I'm teaching Aleph Bays and I'm teaching Parsha and I'm teaching the Chesedah And in both settings though, it's really like crystallizing the messages of what you're teaching for the little children or for the teenagers. So it's bringing, it's, it's bringing it down to their level. Tanya is a very lofty and philosophical subject. So even to teach it to high school, you have to be able to bring it down so that it's very clear and well understood. And the same thing goes for playgroup. When you're teaching Parsha, you know, you kind of have to do the same thing. You know, you have to condense it for them and bring it down to their level. So in both cases, it's really bringing it down to the level of who you're teaching, who your students are in a way that they could understand and that they could feel it. Like I know with the. 
What about management? I'm curious. You find that the management, like the behavior management is similar in both settings? Um, I'll tell you why I'm so curious, because as you know, I am a preschool teacher at heart, and right now I'm teaching in the high school. So I'm trying to find the similarities between the two. I think in both cases, when you're well prepared, you have your students. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I, I think that if you, if you can have it in early childhood, you could transfer all of that to the high school. So with the, with the play group, you know, there's a lot of visuals and we do tons of crafts and I'm showing every part of the Parsha with another craft and it gets them so excited because they make those crafts throughout the week and they have each have their own Parsha bag with their name on it, hand sewn by Mornachama and they take it home every Friday with all their crafts. So if I'll show them a craft that they already did, they get so excited. Oh, we did that one and we're going to take it home. And, and I hear from the parents, like every time they go through the Parsha, the whole Parsha bag comes out and they're taking each craft that depicts what part of the Parsha is in the newsletter, you know, that, that they're talking about. And sometimes I bring visuals to my Tanya class too. As old as they are, it's always helpful to have something visual, you know, so you know, right now, you know, we were doing Parag, you know, we do Parag Bays, which shows the the concept of the the Seder Hashdashalus Ha'elamis. You know how Neshamis come down you know, from the highest worlds to the lowest, and how it's compared to, you know, the the Mayacha of the the seed that starts from the brain of the father and then creates first the brain of the child, and from there. It's in the mother's womb through nine months that all the rest of the parts of the body are created. I have a real visual for that, that flips to the other side to show the muscle and the nimshal. So, you know, really, I think if you're well prepared in any setting, that's your biggest uh, point of success. I love that. So actually, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm remembering that when I did my teacher training, we went into these ganim, or um, they were actually Pruinais and they had Rebbe's who were, they were Talmidi Chachamim and they like brought things down to the level of being able to say, you know, a very simplistic thing, but encompass so much more. Um, and I think that in Chinuch, we don't always value the fact that our children are sponges and they can really retain. I mean, as adults, we have to process it down to that level. And that actually takes a huge amount of understanding to be able to solidify it into something small. But we don't always value the work of a Priwane Mora or a nursery Rebbe or, you know, Rebbeim are not doing the nursery jobs because they think it's below them. But really when I saw some of these Rebbeim doing the little, little kids, they were giving them tremendous concepts and bite-sized portions. Um, and I want to go back a bit to Chinuch. Um, so when we are Mechanech, our children, on any of the levels, are there any... Um, points that we want to be especially cognizant of in what what area are you referring to so when we I mean obviously when we're holding a little baby we look at our children and we have all these hopes and dreams and you know sometimes the visions that we have of our children are really similar to what we want for ourselves right so we want to be people so we want our babies to be people and we kind of think that if we throw everything at them we have a formula for success um and I think the saying goes that the best parents are the ones without children um so how do we <laughs> how do we reconcile all the things we're trying to give our children? How do we um, reconcile that with the, with the actual humans that are in front of us? So we give them everything. We give them all our love, and we give them you know even on a day to day basis, we infuse them with as as much of our own inspiration, you know as we can, but we always have to remember that they're their own people and that they're going to grow up to be their own people. So the best, the best that we, what I feel that we should hope for is that we want to give them the foundation and the framework to be wholesome people who can make the right choices. 
and they should know in us and they should see in us their parents that we are a rock of love and support for them. And I, I look at it that, you know, we as the parents are, in a sense, the first Hashem in our children's lives. The way we are in relationship with them is ultimately the way they will feel about their relationship with Hashem. David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Tzuri Echasebai, right? Hashem is my rock in whom I take refuge or in whom I hold on to. If our children know and feel that in us, they will always find a strong and unwavering support to hold on to, then they will grow up knowing and feeling that this is also what they will find in the Abishter. If we want them to trust and feel, this is what it's about, right? We want them to feel a connection, a real connection with Hashem. And if we want them to feel that their Tata and Himmel loves them and thinks they're awesome and indispensable in the world and accepts them no matter what, then the first experience of that is reflected in the way that we, their parents down here, accept them and love them and convey their awesomeness to them. You know, we could teach them as children to do everything right. And that's good and right. But I think the problem sets in when, what happens when they make their first mistake? When they botch up. You know, if they're not taught how to deal with that, then they, they go down, they may go down the slippery slope of feeling that they're bad and doomed and they'll just give up on life. Yes, the mistakes will need to be corrected and there needs to be accountability, but our reactions at, as parents at those moments will make a critical impact on their lives. You know, we learned that when Yosef was faced with the test of giving in to the demands of Paitifar's wife in Mitzrayim, you know, what stopped him and what made him run out when he saw his father, the vision of his father. And, you know, with, with this approach, we are bound to be most successful in transmitting to our children that we are their rock of support always. How do we do this? How do we do this with the Tyra as our guide? I think that every single challenge in the world, from lack of amuna to sibling rivalry, to immoral behavior, to going off the derech, every single scenario can be found in the Tyra every single one. And the very best way to respond to these challenges will be found in Chassidus, the way Chassidus elucidates these stories in the Torah. And the best thing we can do as parents is to learn, learn, and learn some more and fortify ourselves and our children with the energy of Chassidus to boost us and them both physically and spiritually. We're so lucky today to have a wealth of shiurim at our disposal. Take advantage and make that a staple in your life. So for example, when a child is struggling, when we're fortified with the teachings of the Alter Rebbe in Tanya, just one example, you get the strength to see this struggle with the perspective that will demonstrate to your child that they are not a failure and neither you nor Hashem has given up on them. We clearly see it. In Tanya, we learn that unless you're a tzaddik, the struggle is there and it's normal. It's meant to be there. And the point is not to win but rather to never give up the fight. You know, there's a, there's, there's a few stories, you know, stories of chassidim that, uh, you know, can really bring this point out. There's a story of 
there was once a chassid, I don't remember his name, but he was known as like, like a, a, a shikare chassid, you know, he was most of the time he was drunk. But once, you know, some people came over to him and they said to him, do Zagas, tell us, what is the definition of a chassid? And he said, a chassid is that one day the Yetzirah comes and gives you a punch. But then you get up and you punch it back. <laughs> and he says, this goes on and on and on. And he ended and he said, my biggest wish, my greatest wish is that before I pass away, I should be the one to give the last punch to the Yetzirah. I it's never heard that. <laughs> Did you hear the story of Reb Nemenov? When he first came to America, a 10-year-old child, a 10-year-old little boy came over to him and he said to him, They say about you that you're a Benini. Can ich The child asks Reb Nissen, can I also be a Benini? So Reb Nissen smiled at him and he said to the child, tell me, can you control your actions for five minutes? So he said, of course, five minutes, that's nothing. And for five minutes, he basically probably did nothing, right? Controlling his actions. Then Reb Nissen says, and can you control your speech for five minutes? He says, yeah, for five minutes I could. Okay, good. And then finally Reb Nissen said, how about your thoughts? How about your machshavas? Can you control those for five minutes? So he said, it's a little bit harder, but for five minutes, I can do it. After the five minutes, Reb Nissen said to him, you see, you were just a benani for five minutes and tomorrow you'll work on the six minutes. But this shows us that the struggle is meant to be there. That's the way the Abishter willed it. And it's not to win. It's to keep on fighting, not to give it up. And there was, there was one more I, I want to share this. Reb Mendel Maraza related that he was once by a wedding and he, uh, they served ice cream for dessert. So as soon as the ice cream came, he pushed it away. He says, oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to give in to Taiva. This is Taiva. So he pushed it away from him. And then he says, wait a minute. It's the Yetzirah is very smart. He's, he's tricking me to say that I'm not going to eat it because it's a taiva, but then it's gaiva. <laughs> then I'm bringing all haughty, you know, so he pushes it back to him. I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to give in to the gaiva, but then he, then he pushes it back. Oh, no, no, no. The Yetzirah is trying to get me here again. And he pushes it back away. I'm not going to give in to Taiva. And it kept on going back and forth. Taiva, Gaiva, Taiva, Gaiva. By the time he finished, the whole ice cream was melted. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I was telling this. I see, I tell these stories to my children. When I hear them, I share them. My son had such a belly laugh. He, 11 years old. He was laughing. But it's such a, this is chsidish and and pleasure. You know, that they're, that they're getting enjoyment from a chsidish maisa. You know, I feel like if we as parents are fortified with the knowledge of chsidis and committed to use its lens and practical application as our compass to navigate us through life, this is the key to us being mekusher to the Rebbe and serving Hashem with joy which will in turn transmit its authenticity to our children. Because when we cite to our children, the Rebbe's Taira, as the source for our belief in them, as beautiful people with the most amazing potential, the natural effect will be that they will love the Rebbe and the Chassidus that brings them this hope and light and joy. But a key component in the success of this is to keep an open line of communication with our children. I have to say, I did not grow up with that. 
because my parents were Holocaust survivors and there was very little spoken. And the gap, the generation gap, I'm not talking about the biological years, but the generation gap of the, of the generation of the Holocaust and the, and the generation after the Holocaust, there, there's absolutely no connection. You know, what they went through, the horrors. And I always, I always say that Yemach Shimai Hitler, he didn't only kill the six million. He killed so many in the generation after because there was, there was so little communication. There was so little spoken. There was so little relationship, so to speak. And, you know, so I learned from that. I learned from that because like you said, that generation, I mean, whether it's the schosim or I don't know what, there's no generation like that again. Right. So, so for anyone who wasn't privy to that conversation because it wasn't recorded, we mentioned before um, we went um, live that the generation right after the Holocaust was unique in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that they were truly unique is that they were to have much, much more um, from children and families that just kept in line with and grew without us having, you know, the same percentage of from Yidin lost. Um, and it was truly unique um, if you look historically. Um, so that is what Dini is referring to. Yes. And today for, for our, you know, younger generation, we need to create open lines of communication with our children, like not even a question. It's a necessity. Create comfortable spaces in your home. Show a keen interest when they talk to you without being judgmental. Or on your phone. Or on your phone, whether at home or taking them out, you know, or stopping what you're doing when they call to sit down and listen. You know, today everything is video call, right? When my children out of town will call me and I'm in the middle of washing dishes, I'll turn off the sink, I'll wipe my hands, and I'll sit down somewhere. Now I'm yours. The dishes can wait. The other things can wait. Believe it or not, just seeing that already creates a connection. There's already relationship. I am important. I am important in your life. Try not to have reactive responses. That's a hard one. Because so that's like you poker face. No, or if they tell you something that's shocking to you, Try not to look so shocked, like not try not to be show a mortified, you know, if if they were brave enough and trusting enough to open up to you, you know, so work on not having an immediate reactive response that will shut them down. Sometimes it's better not to react on the spur of the moment, but to speak to Amashbia and how to deal with a specific situation that your child is telling you about. It's so helpful to get advice and perspective from someone you trust and respect. We should encourage our children to have a mashbia too. Very important. And if a situation requires a Rav's guidance, encourage your children to call the Rav themselves. I do this one, I love this. I tell people all the time how important this is. Yes. As you a college teacher, I see that like the people who grew up hearing their parents call and they they grew up hearing, you know, the dialogue between Yidin and their Rav, Yidin and their Mishpia are so much more comfortable saying, okay, I'm going to call a Rav, obviously. And everyone else is just so uncomfortable. They feel like it's an invasion of privacy. It's such a gift to be able to give that normalcy and the value to that. It's such a gift. This will give them the confidence and awareness to turn to the Rav as an address when they're older as well. You know, um, my I have a story. My daughter, one of my daughters was in day camp this summer. And at some point midsummer, one of the counselors had to leave. And the director wanted my daughter to take over the bunk that had boys 
in the bunk as well as girls, but they were, I think the boys were like 10 or 11 years old. And my daughter said that the director told her that, um, you know, he, he spoke to someone that said it was okay. But my daughter called me and she said, mommy, I'm, I'm actually really not comfortable with it. So I said to her, why don't you call the Rav? And she said, yes, I will. Can you send me his number? And I said, and she, she was uh, 16, 16 years old. And she called the Rav and she explained the situation. Uh, at first, the Rav said, if, you know, if the director heard from a different Rav, then I can't, you know, uh, I can't really argue, you know, with that. But she said to him, she said to the Rav, you know, the director called for himself. I want to call for myself. I want to hear what you would tell me. And it turned out that, she, you know, she didn't do it. You know, she expressed to them that she wasn't comfortable and they they found a different counselor for, you know, for the situation. But I, I was so proud, you know, that she had no qualms about picking up the phone herself and calling the Rav herself. And this is, this is something that I've been telling my children and training them, even from when they're, they're younger. Like if they found, a, if they found a, a, some money, at one time my son, I think he was like 10 or nine, he found, a, he found a loony outside. And he didn't know if he's allowed to keep the loony, you know, what he should do. So, so he called the Rav. And he explained the whole situation. Reuven, he, he, he made I a thing. This. this is yeah. my favorite when they get into it and they're like finally at an age where they're like, we can yeah. have a discussion, but the Gemara says, and they're like talking to the Rav, like, but I thought I understood. This is like, my my two sons are finally at like that age and we call it the Rav. I'm going to tell you a story and then we'll go back to yours. They have these cards here, like Hanukkah cards with like halachas and a storyline, like one side halacha. I don't remember what they're called. They're like comic cards and then you have a book. And so they found 13 of them. So think that I was allowing them to buy one at a time. And they found a pile of 13, like they hit the jackpot and they brought it home. And they're like, Ma, look what we found. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if we could keep it. It's Rishosa Rabim. They're telling me it's Rishosa Rabim. It's a this. Nobody's looking for it. I said, it's 13. Imagine a kid saved up his money. So he, my son says, you know what, Ma, I think you're wrong. And I think I'm right. I'm calling a Rav. I said, Bechavod, let's call a Rav. No problem. So we called the Rav and the Rav said that they cannot keep it. They have to hold it. And so they say, the Rav said, put a sign. You put a sign where you found it and then have someone come. Two days later, the sign is off. They say, Ma, now we could keep it. I said, I don't know. Well, the Rav didn't say you could keep it. But there has to be an expiry date, right? So they're thinking that... After Hanukkah, then you don't need the cards. I said, no, we have to call the Rav and see what the Rav said. So we called the Rav and the Rav told them that they can never have the cards. You should have seen their faces. And they thought, how could they? And you know what? I think the biggest gift that they got from this was the fact that it was so hard for them to know that they're never going to keep the cards. And I still have them in my drawer, by the way. Um, Ad bias gael. That's what he said. You can't have it because that's how we do it. Halachically, is there space? Yes. But as chassidim, we go above. We're not keeping it. This is, you're not allowed to throw it out. And you're not. And right. to them, that was like the hardest thing to do. But it would have been so much harder at 18 rather than at 12. And I'm that's so right. glad that they had the experience at 12 to be like, I can hold it. I cannot open those cards. Right. And it goes and it goes the other way as well. When you're sure that you're not going to be able allowed to do something and you call the Rav and the Rav says it's fine. Then this is Das Taira. And we learned that we follow Das Taira in all situations. And the younger we get them comfortable with picking up the phone and making that phone call, that will be an automatic go to address for them as they get older. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. My kids are still little. I, I, I sometimes feel, Dini, that there's like no guarantee. Like we can do everything right and we can dive Absolutely. in and we can ask Hashem and beg Hashem and have healthy marriages and have lines of communication and do everything. And you know what? We're given a bag of jelly beans. Hashem took the black one and the purple one, and the green one. 
you may be doing the same thing as Sprinza next door, but Sprinza has the purple and the olive green and the and the speckled one. So whatever she's doing is working for her kids. It just might not work for you, yours. And I feel like it's almost like, I don't want to say lock of the drawer because it's not lock. I mean, Hashem has a plan, but right. I feel like the formulas that we're given sometimes derail us a drop. Right. It's not about formulas. It's really not about formulas. It's about giving them foundation. It's about giving them a strong and solid foundation from which they can grow on. And at least, you know, let's say taking the example of calling the rub, for example, they, they know they always can. And that will always be there with them. If you have laid the groundwork for that, they may not always choose to, but they know that they always can. They know that that's always a route that they will be able to take. I think as well, you know, when we see or hear something that highlights or brings to mind a strength or a quality that we see in one of our children, share it with them. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with them and tell them, be open and flowing with your praise of how this reminded you exactly of them. I, uh, you know, what, you know, this, I once saw, you know, when we raise our children, we really raise ourselves, you know? Um, It's a a growth journey. Yeah. When I, (laughs) when I hear, when I'll listen to Shiorim, you know, and I'll hear things, you know, about about a challenge, you know, that that the, we, we see in the Parsha and how it was overcome. And it will remind me of one of my children. It will give me the biggest nachas to share with them. Like, you are like, you know, like the greatest people that we know, right? The Avais and Meshur Benu and this and that. Like, you know, the way this challenge was ha- handled remind me of the way you brought out your strength in such a situation. I feel also like when it's, especially when it's based on Taira, you know, and based on the lens of Chassidus, the way the Chassidus views the, uh, the stories of Taira, it's so powerful. It's so powerful and it's so meaningful to them. I was actually in, uh, I had to wait for a, a COVID test result in Shoppers Drug Mart. It was taking like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I decided I'll just, uh, you know, hang around over there till it's ready. And I was going through the, the card aisle, you know, and I saw a card that, um, that really made me think of one of my children. And it was a birthday card, though. And the birthday is not for another seven or eight months or whatever. So I wasn't going to get the birthday card. But as soon as I came home, I called that child and I said, I just saw something beautiful. And it reminds me, it it so much reminds me of you. And actually what the card said was, I may have raised you, but you teach me to grow. And it was, it, it just, it, these things, when you don't hold them to yourself and you shear them, there's connection created. That's it, bingo. You know, there's relationship. I have a specific question, Dini. I, I love this. I, I'm, I hear, so we're, we're, we're laying the foundation and the hope that our kids will make the right choices, right? And you're giving us all sorts of different uh, pointers or tips or strategies to bear in mind as parents as we're parenting. And I, I sort of want to draw down to a personal question that I have. Um, that is in my, my specific scenario where I have a son that really dislikes going to Shul and Davening. I could blame it on COVID. It could be that he was home for so long and he just got used to, you know, staying in his pajamas and playing Lego. And it's a fight every single week. And I'm here, I hear you talk about relationship and I hear you talk about connection and communication. And yet, do we have non-negotiables? Like, am I damaging him or traumatizing him by forcing him to go to shul, insisting that he dive in properly like a mensch? Like we say, we have to be role models and then hopefully they'll follow. Like, do I let it pass? I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. I think, by the way, Sarah, even if that specific scenario may not apply to everyone, I think we all have situations where we're like, 
this is so important and so fundamental to us in our Yiddishkeit that we want it to be that fundamental to our children. And we struggle with like the softer parts and the, the more firm parts. I don't think that it's so, I think everyone goes through that. So I think that there's a level of normalcy there also. Like it's not your struggle. We all have replicable struggles. Right. It could be a girl wearing tights or socks. Like we, it's true. We have these non-negotiables in our, in our minds and yet what Dini's talking about, creating a relationship, being that rock, right? Modeling our relationship with Hashem to our kids, forcing a kid to go to shul or to wear tights or socks doesn't necessarily align with that. Right. right. So, um, you know, everybody has different ways, obviously, according to their inherent nature to deal with situations that crop up like this. Generally, my first perspective is to deal with humor. And that's just me, okay? Um, There's a lot of humor in our house, a lot of, you know, laughing going on and stuff like that. But there are serious situations. I'll tell, I'll give you an answer how I dealt with actually both things that you just mentioned. Um, With the tight situation, right? So like I said, when they're children, we can put tights on them and they'll follow like soldiers, they're little. When they start to grow up and they start developing their own, you know, personality and uh, mode of dress, you know, or whatever you want to say. So, you know, it gets a bit more challenging. Now, you know, generally, it's always following, you know, within the lines and the guidelines of halacha. Um, I I didn't have a situation necessarily with tights, but I had with leggings. Okay. So my, my daughter, and, and, and it's funny, cause like, they won't call them leggings to us, you know, it's called footless tights, you know, like it sounds better, you know, footless tights. I was like footless tights, leggings. I don't know. To me, it's all the same thing. And a, yeah, you just a cup type of thing to say. Like, yeah, no, it's not like I would never <laughs> footless tights. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? My children know that I, that I trust <laughs> I'm not looking in their drawers and I'm not looking in their bags when they come home from shopping. I'm not. I trust them. And I think that it gives them a level of confidence to know my mother trusts me, you know, but she was going out with, um, you know, with these footless tights. And, you know, I kind of said, leggings, you know, whatever I was, you know, just asking, you know, and you know what she told me, she said, mommy, we had a stump the rabbi session in school, you know, where they brought a rabbi down to answer all their questions. And she said that the question, the conversation about leggings came up. And the rabbi told them that it is halachically permissible. It's fine as long as no part of their foot is being exposed. And I said, okay, okay. You know, if the, you know, if the rabbi said that it's okay, then that's fine. That's okay. And I want to tell you why I think that that's a better approach than saying, well, I don't care. This is not acceptable for me. And it's not acceptable in our house because she's a teenager. She's going to do what she wants anyway. Either she's going to do it out of rebellion, out of anger, with resentment. Or she's going to do it in a way that it's permissible. It's permissible so long as I don't have any of my foot exposed. And she's going to make sure that her foot is not going to be exposed. Her skin is not going to be exposed. She was accepted on all levels and trusted to follow the ruling that they were given. I love that. As far as the, um, you know, the scenario about Shul, so I didn't specifically have a Shul, but I had one of my sons, he just, he just didn't like to daven. And uh, he was, uh, what was six or seven years old, I think at the time. And um, so this is, this is, I guess, where my humor kicked in. So he was, so the way he kind of, uh, you know, I'm going to do the chore, you know, because mommy says that we have to dive in before we do anything else, you know, whatever. It was in the summer. So he's on his bike. He's, I'm sitting outside 
He's on his bike riding around the, the driveway with the sitter on the bike handles, you know. And I said, I called him over. I said, I have to tell you a story. <laughs> and I told him the story of Reb Levi Yitzchak Mibarditchev, you know, who always saw the positive in everyone, in every situation. How he once noticed somebody who was under his car, you know, fixing his car, but he was in his talus because he was davening at the same time. And how Reb Levi Yitzchak looked up and said, Abishter, look how precious your children are. Even when they're fixing their cars, they're davening to you. So I said to my son, I said, I look at you and I say, Abishter, cook was a kin to us. Even when he's riding his bike, he's davening. So he had a good laugh and he, you know, he got the message. You know, he came off the bike and he finished davening and then he went back on the bike. We can send them messages without there being a wall between us and them. I think sometimes, though, um, if someone's listening and they're going from not having started at level A, you know, at the bottom with that type of approach, and there already is a wall, and there already has been negativity associated with this, and there's already been all this back and forth that wasn't humorous at all, and the kid is resentful, the parents feel awful afterwards. I think when you're starting from that the answer might be a little different. Um, and I wonder how you would approach such a situation. I would say, I would sit down with my children and say, I've made mistakes. Just, just be raw and real. I made mistakes, you know, in, um, uh, you know, what I want more than anything is relationship with you. And I know that, you know, in my quest out of my great, you know, love for you and wanting you to be the best people you can be, etc. You know, I made mistakes in losing the relationship along the way and losing the connection along the way. And I'd like to start again, you know, and this is what we learned. There's there, the, the door is never closed to tshuva. By the Abish the door is always open. Jeannie, is there any place for Gvura? And I'm asking this because I naturally am more of a Gvura person. I always lean to being like firm and being that disciplinarian and like expectation standards. Like I, I could come across harsh and I know that about myself. And I'm wondering like in raising kids, do we ever lean into that? Or is it always about the, the, the relationship, the acceptance? No, there has to be balance. There has to be balance. So the, the, the acceptance comes first. That's the thing. If you start with the gvura, they're shutting you down before you get to the good part. So there has to be the, the focus, the mindfulness, the whole time, stay in relationship, stay in relationship, stay in relationship. You know, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it, it's not easy because a lot of times you have to suppress you know, or, or put off some things that you're feeling, you know, um, and, and, and come out first with the staying in relationship mode, you know, in the supportive mode and the accepting mode, there has to be accountability for sure, for sure. But, you know, we have to be wise in the way we transmit that. Doing it at the right time, perhaps creating the right space, you know. Um, I mean, we know ourselves, you know, if we, if we make a mistake, if we mess up, if the first person that comes to us is pointing that out to us, how accepting are we are of that? Are, you know, how accepting are we going to be? You know, first there has to be that it's okay. It's okay, we make mistakes you know, and it's how we grow from the mistakes that's, that's really counted. So I actually have a follow-up question to that. Um, and I think that it's actually a follow-up to what I asked before about not having started at base level. So it's very nice if someone's listening to this and just walks away inspired and says, you know what, I'm really going to have that in mind is the relationship and have in mind this positivity and have in mind setting up this 
but you don't parent alone. You parent with another partner. And sometimes the other partner is more open to this or naturally goes into this mode. And sometimes partners aren't. So I wonder what you would tell women who walk away and say, you know, I want this. And then either they mess up on their own or, you know, which, which naturally sometimes we fall into as we're growing, we would fall into like spaces where we don't live up to what we want us to behave. Or maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a grandparent, or maybe it's someone else who's a part of this parenting journey with you. Um, So how do you approach the child when you aren't the only person who has to do things right, or you aren't always operating on that, you know, level of, I guess, parenting with confidence and parenting with, uh, you know, positivity and parenting with uplifting the next generation. So, you know, I think that um, the most confusing message to children would be that their parents are not united you know, and, and they're not on the same page. It's very critical that, you know, before giving responses to the children, you know, or before, you know, reacting to, to a specific challenge that, you know, we heard about them, you know, or, or that they expressed, the parents have to discuss between themselves first, you know, their course of action and you know, um, ideally, they should approach the child together. And the child will see and should see that their parents are a team. And as a team, they're there to be a rock of support for the child. You know, imagine how confusing it might be for a child to think, you know, my mother has my back, but my father doesn't you know, or vice versa, I'm just using an example. But when the child sees my parents, like nothing will shake them, nothing will shake their love for me. And by the way, I've, I've had personal situations, different situations with, you know, some of my children that the approach we always took was my husband and I, first alone, we'll discuss together how are we going to approach this? And that child walked out feeling his mother on one side of him, his father on the other side of him, literally a fortress of support. Nothing's going to shake that. I love that. I think that one of the things that I speak about when I, when I talk to parents, I mean, I don't do stuff in general. I think that it's so much... To me, it's so overwhelming, this concept. And I think that 50%, I get it right. 50%, I don't get it right. Um, so I try to not talk about Chinook. Um, but when I talk about being on the same page, I talk about like having a corporate meeting. Like you have to view yourself as like the head of a corporation. And my husband and I will do this, especially before Yantif, that we'll go and we'll be like, okay, so what are our goals for each child? And it's something I, I heard in the sheer once. It was, I don't even remember who the presenter was. And he said, oh, you have to have these like, before Yantif, what do I want this kid to dive in? And then you sit with the kids and you said, and we actually like started doing that, like periodically saying like, oh, we're struggling with something. Okay, what's our corporate meeting? Who, if do we need to discuss this with someone? And then we like have a game plan and we're more you know we parent more out of confidence that way um and i think that that's so important um and i just want to before i i i think sarah has a question but before i turn the the mic to sarah i want to um say something that actually dini you said and i think that we just haven't gotten that point yet and i want to just repeat what you said before we went live um one of the questions that we asked dini was how to guarantee how do we guarantee that our children will turn out a certain way? And, and Dini um, very clearly said that that is not a question that we should ask because we cannot guarantee. So um, I think that all these things are, are growth related and all these things are really powerful internal tools that are actually really much more focused on the parents and the children. Um, and I think that for me, at least that's going to be, you know, the takeaway from listening to you, Dini. Yeah, there's, you know, like, like we keep reiterating, you know, as parents, the best we can do is to lay the foundation, 
you know, for our children to grow up, to be wholesome people, confident people, confident in making the right choices. And all these are tools that will create that foundation for them, you know, with Hashem's help and uh, with the Rebbe's guidance, you know, these are things that will create that foundation for them. But no matter the, the pitfalls that happen in the way along the journey of parenting, we should not change. We need to be, we are the stable people in their lives. So out, there are things that are, times that are going to be challenging that are definitely going to invoke, you know, cer certain sentiments within us. But the message to our children that we are always here for you and we will always be that rock of support for you and we will help you get through this. You know, and that you are a beautiful person, regardless of what has transpired or etc. You are a beautiful person. Hashem loves you. We love you. You're struggling. It's normal. It's normal because unless you're a tzaddik, the struggle is there and it is meant to be there. And it's not about winning. It's about not giving up the fight. And is this, that what you would say the definition to you? I'm talking about to you to make a personal of raising Hasidic kids is this, this tension. This what did you ask? The tension, the fighting, the punching, as you talked about, like not Don't like I we're, we're, we're being punched by the Yate Sahara. That's what the bad choices are. We're being punched by the Yate Sahara. Punch back. You're strong. You can do it. I love how relatable that is to kids, especially like boys when they go through their like the punch back, like get it, get it where it hurts, like get it where it counts. I, yeah. I feel like that's such a relatable analogy. That's why like when you originally said the story, I like started smiling. I think that kids get that, that, that like inner, inner, like real gut reaction. And the reason, and then, yeah. No, the reason why I like it so much is because I think my natural tendency is to say like, oh, I'm so disappointed in your behavior, like to point out the flaws. And yet hearing you speak, it sounds like really if our kids do let us down to normalize it and to say like, struggle is normal. And now let me help you get back up. And you know what? I tell it to myself all the time too. I'm a work in progress also. You know, I, sorry, you know about the Tehillim group right tell so, us share share it please share it because I, I actually forgot to say that and you know what that is probably your most full-time job I'm imagining <laughs> <laughs> it keeps my mind active that's for sure always counting every day who didn't post yet you know finding who I, who I have to private message you know if they said they're Tehillim but basically we have a group of Nishay Chabad here that we complete the entire Tehillim every day um, in in Schusov, uh, we have a list of Rafua Shalemas, and um, and then we added and a beautiful. Yeah, sorry. Well, yeah. We added, well, that started. We added a beautiful initiative that, um, in addition to just saying our yom every day to complete the Tehillim, uh, we have a every day a, a different reciter. Like, for example. Today is Aleph Shvat, right? So the reciter on our group who says Yaim Aleph, she posted a kavana that she wanted everybody to have today in addition to saying their Yaim of Tehillim. And it's a, it's a kavana with, which you do with an extra mitzvah. So whether it's giving tzedakah or whether it's whatever it is, but the, the, the mitzvah that we're doing is with the kavana in mind for the re the reciter of the day. So it's kind of like you get a second birthday, you know, like when it's your turn and you post the kavana that everyone on the group should have that day. It's like in your schus. And it's such a beautiful group because you'll notice that everybody's kavana is for other people. Nobody's asking a kavana. I want the kavana today to be for, for me. You know, it's always for other people. So over the time, we compiled a list of shidduchim 
um, you know, it, with our group, with our reciters, if their children are looking for shidduchim, or in some cases they themselves are looking for shidduchim, so we have a shidduch list. So, so often the reciter of the day, the kavana will be to daven for this list of shidduchim. You know, um, we also have the list of all the reciters, you know, that the Abishter should fulfill all their desires, Lataiva, Bataiva, Nirvanigla, etc. Anyways, um, so just recently there was a, a name that we had been davening for, uh Rafua Shalema, and um unfortunately she, she passed away, and that was like a real blow for me. And I wanted to close the Tehillim group. I was like, here we are. We're, I had a, I had a nichnas you know, that came into me that forget it. It's over. You know, it was, it was very devastating. That, that news was very, very, very devastating to me. And we had been saying Tehillim, we had been saying so much Tehillim, you know, how, how could it be? And uh, I sat down. And I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking, you know, should I send a post to the group, you know, telling them, you know, I'm feeling like I just, you know, maybe don't want to do this anymore. And then I said, that's a punch from the eight Sahara. And I am going to punch back, you know, like what I tell my kids, I have to tell myself also. I have to just interject and tell Rafi and anyone who's listening that. It is such a full-time job because you are like a moderator. You're on top of this group. I am terrified. I'm shaking when I get a message from you at night saying, did you say you're Tehillim? Because I forgot to close my Tehillim. I think the entire point was that we shouldn't make people shake. So Dini, you got it. You got it. You got it. No, no, no. Dini does it out of love. No, she does it out of love. No, but the point is, is that you're on top of us. You make sure that we say our Tehillim. It's like such a part of my day. I wake up in the morning. The first thing. Like I, I ran and get my Tehillim and it's, it, I can't even imagine how much time and space of your life it takes, but to be able to get up and punch that Yitzhahara back is, yeah. it's. No, it's and like, it's, it, Rizky, I want to respond to you. It's true. I mean, my job is that I have to check in if the Tehillim was recited. And sometimes if it wasn't, I'll fill in, I'll say the yam so that, because we right. actually count the days. But I know by the way, I see where you're going with this. And this is an excellent analogy for everything else that we were telling our kids, right? The boundaries and the spaces and the accountability right. with still. The- but, but, right. And I want to, I want to tell you how. So I've several times when I've asked, you know, by the way, some of our reciters are in Eretz Yisrael because they moved. So we really have like all the, uh, you know, several time zones. But um, when I asked someone, you know, if they recited their Tehillim and they actually didn't see the post till the next day because of the difference in time. So she was beside herself. I can't believe I, I, I you know, I missed the day. I didn't say. And immediately I responded, no worries. It's another day. And the Abishta gives us opportunities anew every single day. That's all. I love it. No I think this is a perfect analogy. I'm so glad this came up, um, this Tehillim group, because it's such an easy way for us to like apply this and then like synthesize it to the next level. So I'm, I'm really glad this came up in conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Dini, I want to thank you so, so much for joining us here today. I think that a lot of the things that you shared are so fundamental and so important to our personal growth as parents um, and our personal continued development as parents and our, you know, application of these thoughts as our children get older are always going to be different. So rehearing concepts that we know we're rehearing concepts or hearing for the first time concepts that maybe we haven't applied to our current situation is so, so, so important. And I know that everyone listening really um, is walking away having gained perspective as I know I have. So thank you so, so, so much, Dini. Um, I really, really appreciate that you were here to join us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Niggin provided by Chazan David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. 
we also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you. Thank you.